0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. There is a better way to practice architecture. When you build a thriving business, you'll then have the time and the financial resources to do your best work to design the architecture that you want to design. We've built a powerful program of resources, training, and community for you, the small firm architect. We'll show you how to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Entre Architect Academy. To learn more, visit the homepage at entrearchitect.com. You're listening to Entre Architect Podcast, and this is episode 185. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlepage and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live The life of your dreams. More control, more money, more happy clients, more architecture with better design. Is design build the answer to our profession's problems? Will building your own projects be the solution to success for your small firm? On this episode, I've invited two design build architects, one based on the west coast of the United States and one on the East Coast to come talk to me here on the show about what it takes to run a successful design-build architecture firm. This week at Entre Architect Podcast, the passion, the process, and problems of running a design-build architecture firm. This episode of Entre Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, Core, by BQE Software, and RCAT. And I'm going to share more about these great companies later in the show, but before we get started here, just take a quick note to schedule some time later today, as soon as you're finished listening here, to go visit each one of them and let them know that you appreciate them for supporting us, the Entree Architect community. Jim Zach, and Declan Keefe, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi
1: Mark, it's Jim. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, Jim and Declan have both been here before, so welcome back. Uh, both are design build architects and both are developers designing, building, owning their own projects. Uh, a few weeks back, Jim Zach reached out to me uh, with an idea. And his idea was to maybe uh, reach out to Declan, who's been on the show before, uh, have have the three of us come together here on the Entree Architect podcast and have a conversation about design build architecture. And so I think it's a great opportunity. I, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it's a, it's an, going to be an interesting conversation because for one, you're on two separate coasts. Uh, I, I, I know your business models and I think your business models are different, uh, but you're ultimately shooting for the same goal. You're both looking to succeed in design, build architecture. And so uh, I think it'll be a very interesting conversation. Let me just do a quick intro of each of you for the people who don't know who you are. Jim Zach is based in San Francisco, California, and he is the co founder and partner at his design build firm, Zach DeVito Architecture. <laughs> he was here before at episode 102 back in December of 2015. It was called Risks and Rewards with architect developer Jim Zach. Jim is also a panel member on a live program that I organized uh, last year for the CRAN Symposium in Sonoma, California. Unfortunately, CRAN was just canceled this year. It was based in Miami this year, and because of the hurricanes, it got canceled. So that was disappointing. But we had a really great panel last year um, talking. It was called Behind the Design, and we talked about uh, some great architecture and then how the business works behind the architecture. Uh, And Jim is also a current facilitator at Entree Architect Academy. He's the facilitator for uh, the design build group. So if anybody's interested in joining that group, we have a couple of seats open for that group. If you're interested, just reach out to me personally, uh, find my email and, uh, request, and maybe we can get you into that mastermind group. Declan Keefe. He is a founding member and an owner at Place Taylor, which is a design build architecture firm based in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, and this is Declan's fourth time. That might be a record. I'm not sure. I think, um, I think somebody else may have also been on fourth time, but I think, may have been just three. You may be the first one to do four times. Episode 130, 134, and 141 back in 2016, uh, how to build a, a successful architecture firm that works, how to get started as an architect developer, and how to build a brand that resonates with your most valuable clients. Those are very powerful, really informative episodes, so I do encourage people to go back to, uh, to listen to those. So we're not gonna do origin stories because obviously you've been here b- before, if people wanted to know your origin stories and how you got started in architecture and your journey to get to where you are now, go back to those episodes and listen to them and you can learn uh, Jim's and Declan's origin stories. Instead of that, let's, let's talk about your firms. Let's talk about how you are. Uh, design-built firms are structured um, and how you practice design-build architecture because I think there's different ways of doing it. So let's start, Jim. Let's start with you and uh, maybe describe how your firm works and we'll go, go from there.
1: Yeah. Well, like you said, I won't go too far back with the origin story, but I will just say that um, I've been involved in building things for a long, long time. i am uh, been in business 25 years. I'm 57 when I'm 58. And uh, started working in construction, i was probably around 15, and uh, was trained as a carpenter long before I was an architect. Um, built houses before I was an architect. So, um, designed some houses before I was an architect. So, i kind of go a long way back, and um, in my mind, sometimes I feel like I've uh, failed at a few attempts to stop building, um, and really fully grasped and said, we're gonna be um, construction and and design. So. Um, we're organized uh, as two different companies um, it's a it's a big topic that comes up in the group that um, that I'm facilitating um, how people organize their companies is interesting i I feel like i'm um, I'm always interested in a bit of a fan of how other people do this um, and I've found that what the way we're organized is probably the most common is that you have two companies and one's a construction company one's an architecture firm and um, I feel like most architects who decide to build end up that way. I think a lot of liability issues, contract issues, financial issues kind of lead to that separation. So we have two companies. The way I think about it is that we're um, operationally um, a single entity to the client. We want them to feel like it's a seamless level of service. Uh, but we have two contracts, two bank accounts. They write checks to two different companies. Insurances with two companies. Um, in California, we have some interesting things where a few things actually overlap. Um, The state (laughs) determines that we're in a similar industry with similar business ownership, so they they think that we have a similar operation in things like workers' comp, and uh, I have one state tax ID number, even though I pay two separate tax bills, which is really interesting.
0: Um,
1: Our workers' comp is single, our health insurance is single, our 401k is single, so there's kind of interesting interrelationship. Um, So the technical um, setup is like two companies. Um, Operationally, Um, we try to make it one company Um, year in and year out it's always pretty interesting in that um, architects come to the office and sit at their desk and draw and carpenters are out on the job site and as much as we like to think that um, it's uh, this nice meshing of things I don't know that we're that much different than when it's separate sometimes and it'd be interesting to get Declan's take on that but um, I try really hard to integrate the two and at the end of the day carpenters are carpenters and not architects and Um, Vice versa, so it's an interesting one. We do try hard to make our clients feel like it's seamless. Um, We have uh, uh, project managers. I have an estimator uh, slash project manager, and I have a full-time project manager. I have a partner in my construction company, Bruce Wickstrom, um, which is actually at this point an informal partnership, but we're working towards actually formalizing that, giving him some percentage of the company. It should be done by the end of the year. Um, and then we have, uh, six to 10 carpenters and some very senior that are more supervisory and, and then some that are just carpenters. And on the office side, we typically are five to eight people in the office, um, have an interior designer on staff. My wife's my partner. Um, she doesn't work a lot on projects. She's, um, does a lot of kind of marketing and helps manage the office. Um, but kind of works part time. Um, Full-time office manager, which is great, Um, kind of bookkeeper office manager, which a small architecture firm would never be able to afford, and it's a really wonderful thing to have, Um, gives us a lot of freedom, takes that pressure off of me to order paper and do that kind of thing, as well as, you know, he deals with the higher-level issues, insurance and um, payroll and all that stuff. It's really quite wonderful. So, um, so. From a design standpoint, we're definitely pretty hardcore modernists, I guess you'd say, um, as much as we can. And we have our clients come to us because we do that kind of design. Um, and our construction staff knows how to detail what we do, um, which is very helpful. And uh, that, that kind of, I think, that seamless nature. My partner Bruce is really, really adept at. Um, kind of the modern detail. A lot of times we don't have to detail things. He gets it he knows what we want to do and kind of detailing the field sometimes is, is pretty interesting. So so that's kind of the general makeup of our company. Um, we're you know 10 to 15 people, sometimes 15-20. And
0: um, yeah.
1: two companies yeah. technically and operationally trying to make it seamless. All
0: right. How about you Declan? How how are you structured? Give a, a little description of how Place, Place Taylor works.
2: So we are Uh, set up two differently although technically our architecture and construction are formally one business Um, and our development entity is actually usually the separate business and so uh, really the scale of our businesses are almost identical Uh, almost all of the same roles you described is the way we're set up We don't have that nice office manager, so I do get to order the paper. (laughs) Um, But we are actually, that is a role that we're we're looking to fill now because of exactly what you described. It's it's, uh, one of the benefits of having the revenue coming in through construction, which you just don't have coming through architecture. Um and it's it's less about profit of either business and more about the fact that you can just cash flow exactly uh, uh office manager. is just so much more money flowing through the business on the construction side than the architecture side. Um so we we're set up that way for a couple of reasons. One, because our business really came from a a true design build model where we weren't actually doing any design for any other firm. Um And it was all products we could do internally, and our insurance allowed that and all those things. It's it's very different when you switch from designing internally to designing for other builders. Um, So in the last year and a half or so, we've switched over to doing architecture that we're providing for other builders to build. Um, And so even though we're still one business, we do functionally work. Uh, as architecture, construction, and then real estate development as three arms of the business is how we look at it, um, uh, even though two of them are, are, co- are the same business. Uh, in addition to that, part of the reason that we're keeping them that way is that our business is also structured as an employee and cooperative. And so because of that, we want the people who are owners of our uh, business to be able to own both of those portions, both the architecture and the construction portions. Uh, However, we separate out development because uh, development has a much higher um, level of risk involved, and there's a lot uh, more likelihood that on the development side that not everybody who's a co-owner of the business would want to of the developments. So we allow them to opt in to be... In our development projects, but they they don't have to be. Uh, and generally, it's down to uh, just a couple of us are doing. Are the owners of the development entity, and then uh, everybody else who's a, a co-owner of the business owns the architecture and construction side.
0: So, how how did you? I, and we went into this a little bit with both of you in the um, uh, in the original. Episodes that we've done, but I think one of the questions that people will have with this episode is how and why did you start with design build? I know Jim has has a, a passion for building um, But was there was there a trigger point for both of you that you decided to go from architecture to architecture design build Or were you always all in on design build? Jim, you want to answer that first?
1: Um, for me, it's just been an evolution um I'm entrepreneurial by spirit. Um, I'm serious. I literally did a design build development project with my dad when I was 23. I was doing my, literally the first architecture class I ever had in my life. And my dad presented me with this opportunity to help him do a project. Said if we, you know, help me design and build these two houses and you can have one when we're done. And I, you know, I was like 23 years old in junior college. And, and um, And then I eventually went to architecture school and when I graduated undergraduate, I bought a house and remodeled it instead of working for somebody. And I went to graduate school and I finished graduate school and I got an off, opened an office and started doing work and, um, did more work making things, um, for people. Some things I designed, some things I didn't. And within a year or two, that just led to architecture projects that we built. And, um, it's just what I knew how to do. Um, and uh didn't really question it too much for most of the time i think um started my business in 91 somewhere in the mid 90s i think i was starting to feel a little um you know i wanted to be a cool designy, modern architect and i didn't want to get my hands dirty and i'm not quite sure in the mid 90s that design built had quite the cachet that it does now you know every young student coming out of design school wants to build and, and um, i think i was pretty conscious of like i just want to be an architect you know and Late 90s, dot com time, you know, if you think about it, I'm kind of at the, the, the middle of the technology revolution, geographically, and um, we were turning down work on a weekly basis, we were so busy, and we sure. run right up to the dot com times, and so we didn't build for a couple of years, and that was somewhat conscious. Um, but, uh, you know, quickly kind of fell back into it, I had a client that asked me to get involved in it. I actually asked him, and he was designing a two unit building, and he told me he wanted a partner, I'm like, well, i partner with you. And we ended up getting hold of the whole building. And um, that kind of started us back on a path of saying we're going to, you know, really do design-build. And um, a lot of it over the years has been self-motivated projects. We, we design and build and, and sell buildings that we own. Um, and the more we did that, the more we realized we should be doing this for our clients as well. And so the last 10 years, we've really made a conscious effort to, to build the construction side of what we do. So it's, it's just been an evolution. But it was never a point in time when I said, "Oh, we're going to go from being an architect to doing design-build." It's kind of was there
2: for the first day.
1: Mm-hmm. How about
0: you, Doug?
2: Uh Ours was there from the beginning. Actually, that was really the reason the business was started. Uh, was that we saw that in the industry there was this split between architects and builders that was leading to lower quality buildings and lower quality design. And uh, we thought that doesn't actually have to be the way it is. Um, and especially uh, in Boston, I think this this happens in urban areas for whatever, at least in New England, there's fewer design build companies here. And it happens more when we go further north into more of the rural areas in New England where we're starting to see design build. And we said, well, we can actually bring that model. Uh, actually still use it in an urban area because we can reference the master builder model of uh, yesteryear and so that's where we started was let's just create h- higher quality buildings <laughs> higher quality buildings very quickly for us translated into high performance energy efficiency and uh, modern design and that's sort of what launched us was really the energy efficiency side that's when we started to get well clients was when they re- we started to get some press around the extreme energy efficiency that we were doing in our buildings. Um, and development came from the fact that we started our business in 2008 and there wasn't a huge amount of work actually at that time. And so it was 2011 we said, well, we've, we've made it this far, but there's not a lot coming in still, (laughs) you know, not regularly, how do we deal with that? Well, we can be the guys to take the risk and create our own project. And and so that's when development started for us, um, which was around the time that I actually took over the business. I was there from the beginning, but I took ownership a few years in. Uh, And the decision was uh, partly to create our own work doing development, but even more so, it was about creating a demonstration to other developers so that developers would hire us to do design build work. And if we could prove a business model for them, they would then hire us to do the work we actually want to be doing, which is design build, um, or now architecture and construction, um, because now they can come to us and just hire us to do architecture if they've got their builder they want to stick with. Um, Or often what's happening these days is we're doing some development consulting with them saying, hey, this is how we did it in the last one, um, and this is how we were successful doing that and do high-performance building and do modern design and um, be able to differentiate in a market that they have not been able to do over the course of their careers. And so there's some development consulting mixed with um, the natural architecture and sometimes construction that goes along with making those things happen. And when we finally get buy-in from a developer, often it's they want all of it. And that's really what we want to be able to offer is the turnkey, you find the deal, you bring the money, we do everything else. And uh, that's, that's often what we're seeing when we're working with developer clients now, which is not all of our clients, but um, between our own developments and working with other developers, it's probably eighty percent of our work is some type of development.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So, so uh, do either of you have questions for one another? Because I have some other questions too. I'll
1: um, well, just maybe okay sorry I was just gonna just comment about like working for developers and that we we have developer clients we've designed for but we've never been able to build for them and, and it bothers me sometimes that, boy we should really be trying to get that guy to hire us but then I realize it's like they're developers they want to pay as little money as possible and, and I don't want to be a cheap contractor <laughs> and we don't do cheap projects um, yeah. we do sort of upper middle class but you know this is San Francisco, so upper middle class is a million dollar project and um, Barely, barely even upper, you know, it's just that's middle class in the Bay Area. So, um, I, I kind of got over the idea that we're going to build our developers projects. Um, We'll do our own. They want to build cheap and I don't want to build cheap, so. My question for Declan is more about the um, the employee-owned business and how that really works, because I've heard you talk about that on previous podcasts, but kind of really understanding that. It's an interesting
0: idea. Do you want to give a brief uh, scenario on how that works? Sure. So uh,
2: employee-owned cooperative, the basics of it are that when someone becomes an owner, they are an equal part owner, meaning that they have uh, equal equity stake and an equal vote, uh, which is different than just having a partnership where you could set whatever percentage of ownership and you could give a certain percentage of equity or or profit sharing. Um, this actually says that if you're going to be an owner in our business, we're going to give you equal stake. So everybody's on the same playing field. Um, and it becomes part of how we have to hire because uh, everyone that comes into our company uh, as an employee, if they stick with us for three years and our cooperative, so the owners of the business um, believe that they're uh, meeting a certain line of criteria, which pretty much they always will if they've lasted for three years, um, then they can become an owner too, which means we're all giving up a percentage of our ownership to allow the next person to come in. Um, so, right now, um, there's five of us who are owners. We have a sixth coming in in January who's already accepted our offer to become an owner. And so, we're doing that transition. Um, and, and then, you know, there's another, I think at this point, another six people in the company who, if they stick around long enough, um, I guess there's five that if they stick around long enough, they can come on. One has decided not to uh, for his own choice and they don't have to come on as owners. Um, and so what that really means is um, that ownership decisions, which we have to define much more clearly because we need to have a break between management and uh, ownership and uh, because We're not making every decision amongst all of the owners about, you know, which type of paper are we buying or what design decision here or there that needs to happen just as it could happen in any firm. Um, for us, largely is, is, um, things related to overall company budgets get approved uh, by all of the owners. Um, any other major purchases, if we're changing a policy, if we're changing benefits, uh, we approve essentially a salary pool. So, um, not, total pay for each person that happens by me, the strategic director. Um, But we do get to decide this is how much we're putting out in pay this year um, or projecting to put out if we're playing to hire or if we're going for growth or not. Um, And so uh, all of those decisions in our business are based on a consensus model. So uh, we have to have everybody who's an owner to be on board with, with all of the decisions related to ownership. Um, We do have, Language in our bylaws that says if we can't, and there's sort of a series of things that describes what it looks like when you really can't, um, then ultimately the strategic director, which right now is me, um, gets to have a essentially a sway vote, so we gets to pick which direction it goes. Which we've not had to do yet, luckily. Um, uh, so that's the the basics of it. the The benefit to the employee is they get to have a say in the business that they're a part of. Um, an equal vote, say. Uh, I mean, essentially a veto, say, because until, um, uh, unless we have to go to the point at which um, I'm vetoing something, any one person can stop a consensus. So, really have a lot of say in the way the business is directed. Uh, and then, if we're doing well, they get an equal share of the profits. Um, and even that, but we decide as an ownership uh, team, what percentage of the total company's profits are distributed to the owners and what percent just stay in the business. So it's not like all profit gets distributed um, immediately to ownership. Um, And the way that that also works is uh, 50% of, uh, this is currently how it works for us at least, 50% of whatever percent of the total profit of the company um, goes to the employee owner as cash and 50% stays in the building business as uh, dividends and so the business can actually use that for leverage but it's actually a, a paper account that technically is uh, owned by and paid taxes on by the employee and that when they leave they get all of that money out of the company so um yeah that's the overview of employee ownership do the employees and, buy in i mean they have to pay for their percentage of ownership it's essentially nominal i mean uh, at this point uh, given where we are in the business and the revenue we're bringing in it's around five thousand dollars to buy into the business it's really to say i'm willing to put some money down and um and i've thought about it enough over the last year to have five thousand dollars you know (laughs) like it's also um, like nothing that
1: has value is free right it's the whole conversation that you charge for the first meeting you know yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah. it's got no value so
0: Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, BQE Software, RCAT, and FreshBooks. This podcast episode is sponsored by BQE Software, the makers of BQE Core. Core puts time and expense tracking, billing, project management, and accounting together on one beautiful, powerful platform. Whether you're at the office, at home, or on site, Core allows you to seamlessly monitor projects and tasks, track time, send invoices, voices, and get groundbreaking insights. Get your fully functional 15-day trial of Core by going to entrearchitect.com slash BQE. Hey, and if you want to see a demonstration of Core, I recently invited Stephen Burns of BQE Software to join me for a live Entree Architect special session webinar where Steve had the opportunity to show us inside CORE and all it has to offer us small firm architects. And the recording of that webinar is available to our community, the Entree Architect community for free at entreearchitect.com slash BQE webinar. So go check that out. And when you're ready to give it a try, visit entrearchitect.com slash BQE and access your fully functional trial of CORE free for 15 days. Hey, if you've been listening to this podcast anytime during the past few months, you've heard me talking about our friends over at RCAT, and hopefully you're already using their free resources on a regular basis. But for those of you who have not yet checked them out, RCAT is a great tool for small firm architects. RCAT has a huge library of free content, CAD, BIM, specifications, and more, and they've done all the work for you. I mean it. They've done all the work. If you need a spec, click on over and download a CSI three-part specification in multiple formats, free. How about CAD details or BIM objects, all free, click of a mouse. RCAD has tons of building product content ready for you to use, and it's all completely free. You don't even have to register to download the content. And they've recently launched something new. It's called Charette. Create a project, assign tasks, share and collaborate with colleagues and clients, all in real time. Pull content directly from the RCAT database or from anywhere out on the web and keep it in Charette. It's another free resource from RCAT for you, the Entree Architect community. Visit them right now. Go check them out. EntreeArchitect.com slash RCAT. That's A-R-C-A-T, EntreeArchitect.com slash RCAT and click on the Charette icon right there on the homepage to check out Charette. Imagine what you can do if you had an additional two days every month to dedicate to anything that you want. Maybe you just wanna spend more time on design. Maybe you wanna to start building that new business process. Maybe you wanna start painting again. Maybe you wanna spend more time with your kids, or maybe you wanna finally start that development project. Well, when you're a small firm architect using FreshBooks cloud accounting software, you could save 192 hours every month. That's two business days every month. That's the amount of administrative time that you could save this year. If you're using FreshBooks. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses, automatically track your time for the whole team by project and get organized with reports, communication and notifications. My favorite feature of FreshBooks is the automated email reminders sent to my clients to remind them to pay their bills. That's done automatically, and you control the whole thing. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com FreshBooks to access FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. BQE Software, RCAT, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So, So one of the questions that I often hear, because like Jim said before, so many architects want to do this design-build model. Um, I think I would say even the majority now, you know, uh, not necessarily want to pursue it, but sort of <laughs> dream, dream of the idea of being having the control over their own projects. Um, but getting started as an architect—that's already a practicing architect. Both of you um, have started that way; that, that it was you know intentional to start design-build firms. Um, if you had a young architect come to you who is an architect and has an opportunity to build their own project or or manage the construction of it and sort of work their way slowly into design build, what sort of advice would you give to somebody like that? Do you, do you uh, prescribe that they do sort of take baby steps and maybe start with construction management and then work their way up to design build? Or is it just sort of a, an all in or don't even try it uh, sort of scenario? <laughs>
1: Um, I guess I'll go first. It's a tough one. And I think there's a lot of different answers. And it depends on the market, depends on the person, depends on their background, their experience. And, um, you know, for me, um, it's an overused term these days, but, you know, I'm a maker when I can be. And unfortunately, these days, it's not very often, but it's in my bones and I make things and I like to make things and And uh, the motivation to build is as much that you just like to be involved in the making of this stuff as opposed to letting someone else do it. So um, you have to make a decision on the front end. Are you a builder or are you a manager contractor? And, um, you know, we want to be builders. Um, We've decided that we don't want to transition to the point where we're just managing a bunch of subcontractors. And one of the members of our um, ASG group is is a company in Texas, and they have no 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 um, blue blue collar employees. You know, they're just project managers. Um, but they're really a construction company. They have a contractor's license, and I think that's a key question: is that Are you getting a contractor's license? Or are you trying to do this um, what I call not at risk? You know, if you have a contractor's license, you can be a um, you know, a project manager at risk, so to speak. Um, you could choose to not have any construction employees and you're effectively managing subcontractors, but I think the main difference is the money flows through your company or not. Um, I know there's a lot of companies that are set up that um, want to start managing construction. A lot of design companies, they want to start managing construction, but they're effectively managing owner-builder projects. Um, they're setting it up so that their client takes all the risk, their client signs all the contracts, and they'll just sort of assist them um, through that process and um, it's an interesting idea I think there are some people doing it quite well um, the, I think that build guys in, in Seattle um, do it that way um, they've kind of created a network of subcontractors and they've actually supported carpenters to become licensed so that they can then uh, work as subcontractors to the clients and And so they're sort of never at risk. The money doesn't flow through your company. But, you know, so we're organized. Yeah, we get all the money. It's like Declan says. It's like it generates the cash flow is that, you know, we we are a contractor. We create the subcontracts and the client pays us to pay other people and we skim our profit off the top, so to speak. So um, that's the big decision in my mind is that you want to be a builder or you want to actually just manage other people. Um, And it really kind of does depend on your experience and expertise and whether or not you can pull together the resources to actually... Actually,
2: make things and
0: build. What about you, Declan? What do you? What would you say to that person who wants to start?
2: I think if it's a a young architect who's working on their own and they're doing it um, just to have uh, control, then they're doing it for the wrong reason already. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just about having control. Um, that means you're you're not able to do the job of an architect, which is communicate and and facilitate and manage and i I wouldn't use design build model as a cop-out for having the skills to do what this career actually is um and so i i'd say you can do it because it's the business model that uh, you believe in and represents the the way in which you want to work so i would start by saying that and then what i would follow up with is if you're doing your first small project and maybe this is just because this is how i started but I think the the experience of swinging the hammer and doing each of the dirty jobs along the way is so valuable in terms of understanding what it actually means to do design build uh, in the way that Jim was describing it is actually as the builder. And I think making that leap from architect to manager of construction, I think you're actually going to make the things that are worse, even worse um, because now you you think you're good enough just because you're an architect to go manage the guys in the field who I'm certain know more than you about what they're doing out there. And that's so true. if if you want to actually be able to manage them, you've got to do the things they've done to know what's hard, what's not hard, what does it cost to do that, why am I making this decision or not making that decision. Um, and to me, that's really where I got so much value, was, was being in the field and spending the time... Know, digging the ditch and swinging the hammer and fixing the thing I did wrong um, until the point at which then I could manage people who were making those mistakes also. Um, and I don't. It doesn't mean that you have to have a career, a full career as a carpenter, and then transition. But I spent maybe four years in the field, um, and I started managing during some of that, um, and it was enough to understand what it's like to have to be in the culture of carpentry. Um, and so that's what I. W- I mean. If it's possible and you're willing, that's what I would say is, you know, find someone who's willing to bring you under their wing and and do some carpentry, even if it's your own design project. But don't try to lead it yourself, I'd say. Um, get in there and, and then do the next one or a couple down the line. Uh, working for Uncle Bob's Construction Company there, you know, the summer between
1: third and fourth year of architecture school does not mean you'd learn how to be a carpenter. <laughs> yes, right. I get that and, a, uh, lot, a lot. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so could- it's true. It's
0: So could a could a a, an experienced architect team up with an experienced contractor uh, and form a company and get that experience through that process, basically becoming uh, committing themselves to a a partnership and maybe a a third entity um, and then having the contractor part of the partnership lead the construction. And that gives the opportunity to the architect to be out there and experience what they need to experience. I think it's that could
1: work. Yeah, I think, I think it can't work. Um, you know, partnerships are a minefield too. So you have to just be careful about that. And, um, but it definitely could, could work. Um, I, I do. And I think what Declan said is like, what's the motivation to do this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why do, why do you want to be involved in design build? And, and for me, it's very clear. I just, you know, we, it's, it's, I haven't figured out how to put this tagline on my website yet, but it's like we design and build cool shit and that's what I want to do. You know, and that's what I want to do day in and day out. And um, and and it's kind of just in the blood. So and and we really do know how to build. I've been building for 40 years. So um, somehow or another, and whether I'm drawing it or actually swinging the hammer, I actually know how to do most of the stuff around residential architecture and residential construction. So um, you know, we all know that architects don't need to be built. Don't know to don't need to know how to build to be great architects. I mean, you know, the architects designing the World Trade Center, most of them don't know how to build and they're building and designing amazing stuff so it's possible but I think at the scale we're talking about that hands-on construction yeah. experience is, is pretty important but uh, yeah evaluating the motivations is, is pretty important but partnerships can work I, I think you just have to be really careful because Declan said it it's like you're kind of gonna get yourself stuck in a cesspool that you're not really familiar with and um uh you know, the guys do know how to do what they're doing and, and, you know, if the motivation is, hey, I think the contractors make more money um, and I want a piece of it, <laughs> it's kind of a good reason, but you better be careful because um, there's just a lot to know about managing a construction company and there's, you know, you think you have liability as an architect, you got a hell of a lot more as a contractor. You know, you know, um, you know callbacks and leaks and, you know, they're,
2: they're more direct to the contractor than they are to the architect. So, you have to be prepared. Yeah, and in, in terms of a A business model itself the construction arm of our company is so much more complicated than the architecture side i mean just the you're just looking even at a a a balance sheet or a um, income statement the architecture firm there's it's like you bill for your services and you pay for paper and you're done you can kind of understand the entire extent of what an architecture we have like 400 lines that we're tracking in our uh construction side of the business. And each one of those is looking at uh, material labor subcontract subcontractors. And each one of them has its own calculator, which is a tool that's, you know, actually literally like 2000 lines long in a spreadsheet, which is how to calculate each one of those things. And, and it's actually the case, this is what I show to folks when they just ask, you know, what's the price before we even start anything is every single one of the cells in that, which literally is thousands of things has taken someone years of experience to even know what should go in that cell. Um, and so to just jump into it and say that you you get it because you've designed the building and drawn the lines uh, is, is um, uh, misplaced. Um, I'd also say just sort of in line with the business models that sort of Jim and Place Taylor's team has also is um, if you're looking for control over the project, then I wouldn't even say that construction is the place for that either. That's more of the line of going towards being the architect as developer because that's how you get control of a project. Uh, Construction is, if you're just doing architecture construction, you're still uh, simply bowing down to whomever it is you're doing the work for. Not necessarily in a bad way. Sometimes it's great to have a client and be the design builder, but if you're trying to dictate um, the aesthetic of the project or the approach to the project or even the, social mission of a project, which is largely why we are doing development work, um, then that comes from the development side of things, um, or build your own house, you know? It's uh, true. Um, and so uh, as, again, goes back to why are you doing it? And if you're doing it for that reason, you don't have to be the builder. You could be the architect developer and find somebody else to build it. Um, or you could just be the builder developer, what, whatever the permeation is, um, I think uh, just being aware of what strings which party gets to pull um, is is pretty important. And for us, we, we think of it as, uh, as I was talking about before, plug and play. So we can do each one of those things, but ultimately our, we're most valuable if you utilize the entire service of architecture, construction, and development all together.
0: What are some of the, I mean, we talked about how, you know, uh, the... the the cash flow is better and your designs are better and you have that control as a, as a design builder. Um, with those rewards, we talked a little bit, you just mentioned a few risks uh, and the downside of being a design builder. Um, do you wanna talk a little bit about that? Do you guys have any stories of, of being a design builder and maybe at the time wishing you weren't? Um, are, what are some of the risks of, of being a design builder?
1: Well, I think that, you know, just figuring out how to profit from construction in itself is a, is a pretty difficult challenge. And um, uh, I think that there's a naive attitude that, oh, you know, the, con- the contractor figures out his price and he puts his 10 or 12 or 15% markup at the bottom and he, you know, he gets to walk on with the bonus, and you know, the job. And it's like, you know, as Declan says, um, it's taken us a long time to teach ourselves to actually manage our finances and we're getting pretty good at it. We have a lot to learn still. Um, but you know that twelve to fifteen percent turns into you know two percent really fast, <laughs> and uh, overhead eats up a lot of it. And you know you can um, pay one person more than they're worth, and that eats into your bottom line. Pay yourself more than you should be getting at the front end, and it leaves nothing at the back end. So this the financial management is pretty pretty
2: challenging.
0: Declan, do you have any any uh, advice on that end?
2: Yeah, I I think a lot of it comes from the fact that to build a building versus design it, there's so many more people involved. And when there's so many more people involved, you have to deal with all of the things that come with having people involved. (laughs) So that means anything from the risk of having them up on scaffolding and tripping and falling to the uh, emotions of two people who have different political views to... um, You know, whether they actually got the job (laughs) because they're good at interviewing and then they show up and don't know what they're doing. You know, all of those things really matter um, sort of in any business. But just when you multiply it by needing more people, you you see it more. (laughs) Um, And that comes with construction. And with construction, it's really difficult on the hiring side um, when you actually are bringing carpentry staff inside to know whether they're good or not. You're not learning anything about a carpenter, really, by talking to them at the desk when you do an interview. You know, It's not until they actually get in the field and are working with your team that you know if they are they can do the job you just hired them to do. And so that's somewhat different when you're hiring designers, because you can see their work. You actually can yeah. see their t- total product, and you know that they're the ones that did that, and you're hiring them to do the same thing for you. Um, so that is a, you know, just hiring for construction is a completely different Uh, difficult and it's um, uh, it's also the case that if you don't have the people you actually can't do the work and then it slows down and now you've lost that 10% right? Right. (laughs) The project goes longer and you're paying overhead for more months than you expected and it's gone so every every one of these little decisions or complications which often are people based uh, affect your bottom line and knowing that that is the case is maybe even more important than the reality that that's part that is the case <laughs> yeah,
1: and the reality these days of being hiring anybody for doing about anything is so difficult
2: that <laughs> yeah you know,
1: i mean we we look for weeks if not months at a time to hire one carpenter we have so many challenges hiring people we you now have a two week two week rule we tell them that we hire them it's like you know it's the second friday you're here it's just i'm going to tell you yes or no <laughs> and if it's no here's your check thanks a lot you know and if it's yes you got two more weeks to prove yourself and um, really, to be honest, you know, in about a week, um, but we give people two weeks and we actually literally have to let people go at the end of two weeks and just said, you don't fit. You're not who you said you are. You don't have the yeah. experience and the skills anymore. and it is really difficult them to determine that stuff. Yeah. I think, I don't know, we've never really had, I guess we've had one pretty huge failure and um, I think about it, I, I, I kind of, I guess maybe I selectively forget this project, but um, <laughs> of course it was doing someone a favor, which is rule number one, don't yeah. do favors. It yeah, was how often for, does uh, that happen? Yeah, and then it was working for um, a friend, or technically it's the sister of a friend, was a good friend, um, and uh, was the recession, and she burned her house down basically, um, and didn't have enough insurance money, and we... Started off just helping her rebuild it from a design standpoint. She was a pretty sweet lady, but um, pretty tough. And her husband was quite old. And um, and it evolved into a design-build project that, you know, we ended up in mediation and probably lost, you know, $75,000 or $80,000. Um, that was four or five years ago, and I feel like I'm still paying that off, you know. It was a, it's a big chunk of money, and, and for a lot of reasons. And it's just... Um, uh, you know, We didn't manage it well. The guy working for me at the time as the project manager, um, you want to talk about people evolving into sort of realizing they're not very good. You know, we had a guy here for a year, year and a half before you realize he you know, really doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it takes a long time. So things can go sideways pretty fast. And there's a lot, I, not to take, drag the story out, but you know, at the end of the day, a lot of mistakes I suppose made, but at the time they don't seem like mistakes. They seem like the right thing to do. So. Um, there is that risk of a project going south and the amount of money that you have at stake is a lot higher than, um, you know, when you're getting paid by the hour, you lost some time. Um, maybe you paid an employee for a couple weeks of work, but usually you catch that pretty quickly. Um, and in construction, you know, it's a different situation.
0: And you're relying on, on, uh, on people in the field to do their best work and to do work that you expect them to to know how to do. yeah, um, And so you have to rely on other people to make some pretty big decisions uh, unless you're doing it yourself, right? And so an architect who's considering doing this has to take that into account too, that this is not just you, you know, starting a design build firm and saying, okay, now you're going to build and go hire a bunch of people and they're going to go do what they are supposed to do. Um, you, with all the work that you're doing as an architect, you now quadrupled it. With the amount of work that you're going to have to do on the design or the build side of it to make sure that you don't end up in a situation like jim just described
1: and you know i think uh what you just said about quadrupling the work it's like i think both of us we're wearing three hats we have three businesses right we're designing we're building and we're developing and the amount of time i spend on any one task kind of depends on what day of the week and what month of the year Um, but it's really easy to say that i am not an architect <laughs> you know if that's the easiest one to say and yes I, I you know run the office I am the guy in the in the in the driver's seat um, but I, I the amount of time I spend designing is you know next to nothing um, and I learned a long time ago that we can still get a quality of design um, through management and um, you know desk crits or whatever you want to call it but the amount of time I personally spend designing is almost next to nothing and so you've got to acknowledge that you can you know something has to give Um, as I've grown older and done this longer I'm I'm a lot maybe a lot of people get to this point but I'm I'm excited by the business I'm excited by growing the business and and learning more about business Um, and it just happens that my business is architecture and construction so you know, it took 25 years to know that I don't know very much. <laughs> um, and there's still a lot to learn. So, but I think that if someone's interested in doing this, they have to acknowledge that, you know, you only have so many hours in a day and you can still hire people um, to do work, um, but um, you don't get to do the same things that you did if you're just doing design and doing architecture.
2: Yeah, I, I think similarly, the one thing to realize, sort of jumping back a little bit to... Uh, the risk is if you think about an architecture fee uh, many times, this is not how we actually price projects, but um, it's five, maybe 10%. You can get a little higher than that if you're lucky of the total construction cost. What that actually means is that that other 95%, if you're the builder is now your risk too. So if you just think about risk mitigation as it relates to dollar value, the architect's taking that 5% risk Builder, if you take on that role, is now taking the other 95% of the risk. So all of that money is actually at risk. Every time you're you're doing work before you've received any of that money for that work, it's at risk. So that, that sort of just puts it in context of what what the what we're really talking about here on a dollar value of differential between architecture, firm, and construction which may yeah. be a
1: good argument for doing that project management, not at risk, you know, <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. or set your client up
1: to be an owner builder, which, you know, I've never really thought about that in depth, but I, I think there's some risk there too, because, you know, you are effectively um, counseling your client that you're, you're kind of gonna be their contractor, but then you're not. And I think that if a project went south and someone sued you, that you could, you could really lose it because yeah. you're kind of acting as a contractor. But, didn't take the risk, weren't properly licensed and
2: insured, or whatever. That's another thing point. that we've, or I really, I've, I've found over the years of the various different permeations of business is you, because we have so many hats, you just really have to trust people more than you would in another business. And so I, I have someone who leads each one of those of the, the different arms of the business. So there's someone who runs the architecture division who runs the construction and runs the development side. And I don't actually necessarily know everything that's happening in all of those, those uh, projects that are coming. I mean, I know every project that's coming through, but I don't know what's happening in every project and uh, part of every client interaction anymore. And um, you just have to have the right people and trust that they're going to be able to do their job. And if you're not willing to let go a little bit, you're not actually going to do it because there's just too many pieces moving. Um, So, uh, that, that's another one in terms of why are you doing this? Well, um, I, I happen to be you know, similar to Jim. I love using the creative process to formulate a business model that allows us to do the work we want to do. Um, and so I'm using the creativity and the um, uh, process of sort of thinking through and problem solving that we learn in architecture and applying it to a uh, business model. And I think that happens too little in in too many industries. And even in our industry, it doesn't happen enough where we're thinking creatively about a business. Um, And I think it's kind of interesting that the skill set of an architect is actually set up really well to think creatively about business. Um, And yet we often see that people fall into the same business model because it's easy and we don't like to, to worry about numbers or change the spreadsheet that we were given by... You know, whoever showed us how to run an architecture firm, but uh, you can, you can do it differently.
0: It took me
1: a while to realize that I could run my business on my terms and I didn't have to be like everybody else. Um, For the first 10 years, I was trying to be like everybody else. And um, that moment that I decided I can kind of do this my way was pretty pivotal. I'm right? sure exactly. yeah, uh,
0: sure what that is. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's very inspirational. I hope if if our listeners get anything from our conversation today, I think I hope that they get that, that they should be looking at their businesses as a, as a design project, that it's that it's more than just a, a necessary evil, that it it could be fun. It could be exciting. It could be part of you know the the passion for what you have to do. um clearly, a message of Entree Architect for a long time. So I'm glad to hear. Uh, both of you uh, say that that your business is and the way you do things because you are obviously both of you are doing things differently than the traditional architects out there um, it sounds like it's because that's the passion you have you have the passion to create these alternate m- m- models of business and these brands and and these business models and these uh, construction methods and the way you put together buildings um, so thank you for sharing your knowledge and and your and your uh, inspiration. I want to I end on um, uh, a positive note because we talked about a lot about, about why not to do this. Um, what, what would you say is the best part of being a design build architect? What is your favorite part? Uh, what gets you up in the morning to get up and get out there and, uh, and do this? What, what's, what is it about design build that gets you going?
1: I still just really enjoy the job site. Um, I like going by my job sites, and I like seeing that um, development over time, um, you know, from foundation to framing to sheetrock to finishes, and um, and then just the final product. And so for me, it it is just kind of goes back to being involved day to day in that construction at a level that's much more than you get as a marketer.
2: Mine is similar, but maybe on the. The people side, I love having the team and the, the people who are doing the job in the field and the people doing it in the office and the, the investors we get to work with on the development side and all the various consultants from all of the different parts of the company. It's just a wide range of amazing people that we get to put together and work together to make things for the clients. Ultimately, even if we're doing development work, it's ultimately someone's going to live there. And that gets to be part of, you know, the big jolly family that, you know, you can be really separated from if you're siloed into one piece or another piece. And um, I I just, I love so much being able to, to facilitate bringing these people together and making uh, something physical represent that family in the world in a building. So...
0: Yeah. Uh- uh, Zach DeVito, it's a Zach DeVito architect, or Zach, ZachDeVito.com, right? Yes, yes. And PlaceTaylor.com, Taylor like the suit with an O-R, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so people can go check you guys out there. Uh, Jim and Declan, thank you very much for being here at Entree Architect Podcast and for sharing your knowledge here. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mark. If you liked what we shared here today and find value in anything that we're doing here at Entree Architect, I ask you to share this episode with a friend. Pick one friend, just one, that you think might benefit from what we talked about here today and share this episode with them. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 185. That's the link to share, entrearchitect.com slash episode 185. And don't forget to visit the website to learn more about Entre Architect Academy. It's for you. It's our private online membership program that's built just for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. You can build a better business. I promise you, we will show you how to learn more. Visit the homepage at entrearchitect.com. All the information's there. Come join us. You won't regret it, you will love it. The members who come come and join Entree Architect Academy don't ever leave. They come in and they love what we're doing and they find value and they find camaraderie. Members share with one another. It is an, an amazing place. If you like the Entree Architect Facebook group, you will love Entree Architect Academy. Just find a member and ask them and they will tell you how much Entree Architect Academy has changed their life To learn more, visit the homepage today at entrearchitect.com. All the information is right there on the homepage, entrearchitect.com. Hey, my name is Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.